Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my Property Mastermind Mentorship. Hello, and welcome to episode number 57 of the Property Magic Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be answering the question, should you be investing in student accommodation? Now, I'm very often asked this question, especially recently because the student market is changing due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And there's lots of uncertainty at the moment for student accommodation. So should you be investing? Well, it kind of depends. You might be considering it as an investment, or maybe you're sending some of your kids to university and you think buying them a property might be better than just renting one out. So there are three types of student accommodation, and I want us to consider these to put this into perspective. So the first type is university-owned halls of residence and university-owned apartments. Now, this is where most students go and live in their first year at university. And the challenge here is that many universities don't actually have enough of their own accommodation. So there's always a little bit of an overspill. Typically students who come to university quite late, maybe through clearing, they don't have accommodation sorted out and they end up going into the next two groups of accommodation. So the second group is purpose-built student flats. These are often owned and operated by private companies and very often the individual units are sold off to cash investors. And then finally, there's private student houses. These are effectively houses of multiple occupation where you rent out multiple rooms to a group of students. Now, the last two, i.e. the purpose-built flats and the private student houses, this is what presents an opportunity for you as an investor. Personally, I don't like purpose-built blocks of student flats for the following reasons. First of all, they're often very expensive to buy. Now, they're attractive because they're sold on a yield basis. And because the rents are so high, they might be offered at a, a 10% return on investment, which for a normal property is pretty good. But for a student property, I think it's actually a pretty low return. You can get a lot more if you do your own kind of HMO. And so for this reason, actually they're very expensive. The major problem though, is this type of accommodation can only ever be used as student accommodation. It can't be repurposed in the future. And what this means is that there's a bit of a risk because there's limited exit strategies. If this property um, becomes a bit tired and there are other newer developments in the area, it might be difficult to rent out. The management company might not look after it. And so the value of your investment might come down. So I don't think it's a very good idea. I believe that private accommodation, HMOs, are much, much better. However, let's just acknowledge because of these new purpose-built blocks, there is an oversupply of private student accommodation in many areas. So you might be thinking, well, is it really a good idea? The fact there's an oversupply actually means there are some real opportunities, which I'll cover towards the end of this particular episode. Now, Depending on where the location is, usually right next to university, there'll be several areas that are highly densely populated with student houses. Um, these can be actually really good areas because you often get very high capital growth. If it's a really good university, like a red brick university, you often get parents who are buying properties for their kids. And so there's a really good demand every year 
continually for people who want to buy a property. So for this reason, there's often really good capital growth. And some parents you know, hold on to the properties for a number of years. Some of them sell them after a couple of years. So this means prices around universities because of the location are often high. For example, my first property that I purchased in Selly Oak, which is just next to Birmingham University, in 1995 for £48,500. pounds. That's 25 years ago, but I had it valued in the summer. And this property is probably worth about £350,000 now. So it's doubled in value from, let's say, forty eight and a half to just under 100000 to just under 200000 and almost doubled again to just under 400000 in 25 years. That's phenomenal growth. And some of my other properties in Birmingham haven't gone up quite as much because the location is not as good. So location is really, really important. Um, by the way, if you do have kids who go into university, actually buying a property for them might be a really good idea. You're going to waste so much money in rent that you're going to be paying out for them. If you instead buy a property and pay the mortgage and you can rent that property out and they're going to have lots of friends who are going to be potential tenants. So actually, you could turn it into a profit center rather than a cost center for you. An even better idea is actually if you put it in the student's name instead of your name. Now, there's some good reasons for this, and mainly it comes down to tax. First of all, if it's their own home and it goes up in value, when they sell it, there's no capital gains tax to pay. If you sold it, you'd have to pay capital gains tax. Also, they can live there and they can rent out the rooms to their friends. And under the government rental room scheme, they can currently make about £7,500 tax-free. And if you add in their own personal income allowance as well, they can almost make up to £19,000 of rental income completely tax-free. If it's in your name, obviously, you'd be paying tax on all that rental income. So from a tax point of view, it's much, much better to put it in your kid's name. Also, it's great if they've got a property in their own name. It helps them build up their credit rating and also gives them a little bit of a responsibility of what it's like to actually own a property. Now, of course, your kids won't be able to get a mortgage because they don't have an income and they're a student. So you'd have to get a specialist mortgage such as a joint borrower sole proprietor. But well, that means that you and the kid will be named on the mortgage, but only one person lives there, which is your kid. Now, this is often based on a multiplier of your income, maybe four and a half times your salary. And also, if you have your own home, they'll take that into account. So you might just want to think about that. Um, you do need to have a very high income, but it's a far more tax efficient way of doing it. Or maybe if you are university age right now and you're listening to this podcast, you want to get into property and your parents aren't in a position to help you do this, a great strategy you could use is picking up uh, an HMO, a uh, student let on a rent to rent basis or a purchase lease option where you don't have to get a mortgage and not putting a big deposit in, but you live there, you rent out the rooms to your friends and you can actually make money doing that. So again, um, there are episodes in this podcast all about these various strategies. So I suggest you go through and listen to some of those. Now, going back to students as tenants, I absolutely love student tenants because um, there are so many benefits you don't get with other types of tenants. So first of all, students often come as a group. So in their first year at university, they get put into halls or they're in flats and they might meet people on their course. They decide who they want to live with pretty much by the end of their first term. So in January, February of the new calendar year, halfway through the academic year, they'll start looking for where they want to live for the future 
academic year that starts the following September. And so what that means is very often you can get a group of students to sign a contract for your property while the current students are still in there, even six months before the current students move out. So at, at certain times you can have 18 months of students, tenants all lined up, which is quite a nice position to be in. Now, because they come as a group, very often they'll sign one AST contract. Whereas if you have a normal HMO, each person has their own contract. But because they're a group, they sign one, which means they're jointly liable for the rent. So if one person falls out, the other tenants need to pay that rent. What really happens in most cases is they will find a friend to come in and live with them. Sometimes it's not actually a friend, it's just anyone they can find because they don't want to have to pay the rent. So it's quite good that they're responsible for that. And when they come as a group, very often they pay their own bills. They set up like a, biz, uh, a bank account and they pay the bills out of that. And also there's no council tax to pay because students are exempt. So what this means is the rental income that comes into you is pretty much yours, less the insurance, less management fees and the mortgage. It can be quite profitable. So in fact, you can sometimes make more money than renting to young professionals. Even though the rent seems less, there are less costs for you to pay. And often people dismiss student accommodation because they look at the rent on, on a student property, they look at a young professional HMO and they think, oh, I can get more as a young professional HMO, not realizing that maybe the bills are paid for in the student house by the students. So it's just important you understand the numbers here. The other very important thing if you're renting to students is to make sure you get the academic year timing correct. As I said, most students will start to look in January, February and sign a contract for the property they're gonna start that coming September. Whereas a lot of amateur investors who don't understand the student market might think, right, I'm gonna have my house ready for August for when the students wanna move in September. And actually, if you start advertising your property then, you've probably missed the majority of the students. Now, there are always a few odd students uh, who are looking for accommodation because maybe they're a first year and there's not enough accommodation provided by the university, or maybe they were in a group and the group fell apart for whatever reason, they had an argument over the summer when they all went on holiday together. And what this means is that actually there are it is possible to get tenants coming in in September, but often they're not so much a group, they're odd tenants here and there. You tend not to get such a, a well-gelled group and actually you might need to pay for some of the bills as well. So the best thing is to get into the academic cycle and make sure you hit the right timing. Now, this presents a real opportunity because at certain times of the year, so for example, end of September, beginning of October, there will be empty student properties in every university town and city, generally because there's an oversupply of accommodation. Now, why are these empty? Well, there's three reasons a property could be empty. First of all, maybe it's just a bit too far from the university. There's a lot of accommodation around the university. Students are generally quite lazy. They want convenience. They don't want to have to walk a long way. They certainly don't want to have to get on a bus. They want to be able to walk or cycle or drive into uni. If a property is too far out, it might have been that in the past, it was easy to rent it to students. But as more and more properties in the student area become student properties, there's more choice for people and they don't have to go to the ones that are further out. The other reason is maybe the property is just not good enough condition. Maybe it's something that was um, bought years ago and it was fine at the time, but the student's landlord has not spent enough 
doing the property up. They're not really maintained it. And so it's not really up to the current specifications. You know what? When I was a student, accommodation was really very basic. That is not the case right now. Student accommodation has to be a very high standard. Very important to understand that. Um, and then the other thing is that um, it might be a good property in a lo good location, but it's empty because the landlord's just missed the student market. Now this can happen because maybe they had some students lined up, but the group fell apart and suddenly they turned around to landlord and say, uh, you can keep our deposit, we're not moving in. And suddenly a student's got this empty house. Now that's actually really good for you because that's the kind of property where the landlord might be panicking because they've got no rental income coming in right now in kind of October time of year. But actually, if you repurpose the property to rent to young professionals or to working people or to even people on benefits, you might very easily and quickly fill that property. They might say, well, why on earth does a student landlord not do that? And it's because they've been a student landlord. They're just thinking student, student, student. And all they're aware of is that I've always rented this property and now it's empty and I'm not going to get students in for another academic year. Suddenly they become very motivated. Now, some of them might repurpose their property. And if you have an empty student property right now, I highly recommend you do that. But you can actually go to these areas. You can look for the properties that are empty. And the, the way you do that is in the evening, you go around, you look for properties that have a to let sign outside, but it looks like there's no lights on inside. And you write down the number of the house. And then a couple of days later, you go back to the same street, go directly to the houses that were empty with the lights off before. If the lights are still off, there's a really good chance that that property is empty. So in that case, what you can do, you can go to land registry, download the title deeds, pay your three pounds and write to the owner of the property and say, look, I notice you've got an empty student property. Would you be interested in doing a long-term rent or even selling the property? And that's a great way to pick up potential rent to rent deals and purchase these options or even straightforward purchases. As I did say, you don't want to try and rent to students because you're going to have the same problem as the landlord, but by repurposing and renting to a different market, then actually you might be able to get a really good rental income on this property where the landlord couldn't see how they could generate income because they were just thinking about student tenants. So this is a really good opportunity that we tell all of our um, students about at this time of year. So my general conclusion here is if it's done in the right way, there's still opportunity in the student markets. You get very good capital growth in the student areas. There's always gonna be a good demand for them. What's the final thought about COVID-19? Well, here's my thinking. Universities have got these very big campuses. They don't want to have empty campuses. And although some universities are running training online, Part of the joy of being a student is moving away from home, living with other people, kind of maturing and the social life, etc. And of course, the social life right now isn't as it used to be, but getting that independence and moving away from home is still very important for many people. I doubt that people would be as interested in university if they have to do it from home and they're logging on and they're just doing the lessons online. University is not just about the academic qualification, it's about the life experience. So you've got university campuses who are going to want to have students there. You've got students who want to be in student accommodation with other students. So despite COVID-19, despite some of the lectures being online, 
I'm still pretty confident there's gonna be a good demand for student accommodation. And if you have student accommodation and the whole market completely drops out, remember you can take it and repurpose it for different types of tenant. So that's my view really. Uh, I think there's a really good opportunity here in the market if you know what you're doing. And it's just about getting out there and finding the opportunities. So if you got value from this podcast, I'd love it if you can give me a five-star review and leave a little comment to say why particularly you enjoyed it. That will help other people find it and other people can benefit from listening to this podcast on a weekly basis. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of these episodes that come out every Tuesday morning. So until next time, remember, Remember to always invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me via LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property trading for free. All of the details are available in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.